Welcome to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. In a previous episode, we looked at the high tech industry and some of the unique ways that that industry makes use of digital workplace services to affect its changes. In this episode, I'm looking closely at another vertical, the public sector. What makes it different from other verticals? What are its challenges and opportunities? How did it fare during the pandemic? And what can we expect looking forward? Now, to help you with this, I'm thrilled to have some time with Sean Kingsbury, a former federal government CIO who has been leading public sector initiatives here at Unisys for the past four years and is now Vice President of Digital Transformation and Consulting Services across all industries. Sean, thanks for making some time to speak with me here today. Hey, thanks for having me. To get started, what is it that makes the public sector different from other verticals in, in let's say, healthcare, finance, and others? At the end of the day, a public sector and federal's goal is to provide public value. Um, public value means you have um, citizens that are on the other end of that receiving, you know, services, rather be going to the Social Services Administration, rather be going to Department of Motor Vehicle Administration and what have you. And that's what makes the public sector a lot different than a lot of other industries. Being a civil servant and providing public value is equally as important as the salary that you make. So it's a different deal, right? It's not just about the money. It's about providing public value. And I'm going to tell you something very interesting. You, you're you're going to see, if you aren't already seeing, um, public sector modernizing at a faster rate than other commercial firms and other federal government as well, right? Because um, public sector is entire states. In most cases, federal is more agency-based. Like I give an example. If you look at uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, right? It's like 65 agencies, all agencies, you know, Department of Motor Vehicle Administration, Education, Agriculture, um, uh, DMV, Tax, right? So it's holistically the entire state and all agencies all outsourced to a standard approach of delivering uh, modern digital services. You're not seeing that type of holistic approach across federal. You know what I mean? And you definitely aren't seeing that approach across commercial, where you're looking at, okay, across three states, you're actually actually impacting the lives of over 20 plus million citizens. So, I mean, you know what I mean? The the rate of change of public sector, to me, is moving at a much faster rate than commercial and federal government. Well, Sean, let's take a look at the financial side of things, if that's okay. What are some differences about funding for public sector versus what takes place in commercial? Public sector receives funding from the federal government. To be totally honest, if they don't meet uh, regulatory requirements, they could lose that funding. So that puts you into a cycle of higher levels of compliance and um, to to specific standards um, that increases the, the requirements for security and security controls and the types of security controls that you put in play. And that also drives the the acquisition process to be much longer cycles. A lot of acquisitions get pushed out, right? Because, you know, when you have political uh, administrations changing, that directly impacts the process of acquisition. So 
it's a lot different, right? When, when you start to look at uh, uh, industries that are outside of public sector versus public sector, longer cycles, lot, a lot more um, compliant types of requirements, um, funding is split when you look at the multiple um, people that have to play into the decision authority space. So it's a lot different. You know, it almost seems to me as I look across state governments that there is some level of collaboration between them that I really don't see in commercial. Could you shed some light on that, Sean? Um, public sector comes together. Like if you look at, um, you know, the National Association of CIOs, right, NASIO, they have um, priorities um, that spans across all public sector. And when you look at the way those priorities work, you know, it, it uses a, a, a holistic approach to mitigate the challenges within public sector. So in essence, like, you know, the, the, the whole uh, view of, you know, not having the right resources, having legacy technology, um, you know, in some cases you have systems that haven't been um, uh, modernized in over 50 years or what have you. Um, there's a holistic approach to move to uh, either you're going to be centralized IT or decentralized IT. And there's this whole approach of outsourcing whole states to, um, you know, to be an outsourced approach to um, move from CapEx to OpEx models, um, to move to, like I said, move to leverage the, 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 the benefits of shared services and hybrid cloud computing as a, um, a standard approach to drive down costs, increase efficiencies while addressing the attrition ratio that they have. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's different from that perspective, but it's interesting when you look at how the, the public sector is, is, is actually operating as a business across all states to mitigate the types of gaps that they have. And that's something you don't see in other industries. And you mentioned the attrition rate. I've seen some statistics uh, that were shocking to me. And I think that you could expand on them with your experience. The number of people that are eligible to retire uh, being much higher in public sector than in other industries. Is that true? So 30% of the public sector employees are eligible to retire. Wow. Uh, if you look at the federal government, 50% of the federal government is eligible to retire. You see, you got to connect the, the people that are eligible to retire to the strategic approaches across public sector as a whole, right? So if you look at states like um, the state of Georgia, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Commonwealth of Virginia, um, Delaware, the state of Delaware, they're getting ready to do this. When you, they, they, they're moving to outsource models as one of the many mitigation strategies for the attrition ratio, right? So in essence, the, the, the goal is to manage IT as a business versus do it yourself. And, and that's happening, like, right, you know, if you look at Commonwealth of Virginia, it's outsourced to like five um, integrators, right? Service delivery towers that provides the holistic delivery of soup to nuts, uh, information technology from, you know, service storage to um, messaging, to uh, managed security services, to endpoint management and the like, right? If you're outsourcing your entire IT, in essence, you start to look at your attrition ratio differently. For sure, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm imagining two things when I hear that 30% uh, in public sector, 50% in federal, 
uh, employees are eligible to retire, I'm hearing two things. One is a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge is in people's heads, no doubt, um, that it, there's a concern that that disappears if it's not been captured through formal processes and documentation. And secondly is I, I'm thinking there's a general stereotype with, uh, with the older demographic that uh, of a resistance to change which can make it difficult to implement new initiatives or, or bring about changes in how the workplace works or using new tools and technologies. Is that true or am I just imagining a stereotype there? Uh, it's true, but um, the higher the attrition ratio makes that conversation kind of become a moot point. I almost look at it as a, as a pendulum. Like in some cases I've been in, you know, customer engagements where the person that stood up the system was in the room and the system was stood up 50 years ago. Oh my goodness. Right. Um, but when, so when you look at it from that perspective uh, and you say, hey, uh, all of the key people are going away. And in most cases, those systems are not well documented, right? The information of what goes on with those systems is in the heads of the people that are about to go, right? So, you know, when you're in those types of situations, you, you, you know, the, the pushback becomes a lot different. It's really, you know, it's, it's a survival. Maybe let's just back up prior to the pandemic, thinking about how the public sector was operating, the pandemic hits. Um, what were some of the things that the public sector was doing well prior to the pandemic that made it possible for them to, you know, continue to provide services? Maybe we'll look at the flip side in just a second. But what, what were some things that it was doing well that, it, that carried on into the pandemic? I mean that, that, and that—that's a loaded question. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> it, it, the public sector does a lot of things well. I mean, you got to think. I mean, the the work that the public sector does in some cases, I I don't think gets the appropriate appreciation for the work that they do. I mean, the, when you look at the operations of the government and and citizens receiving government services. You kind of almost think that you, it just happens, but in essence, it's a lot that goes on as you look at um, the connections between uh, the governor and how the governor is accountable for the services that are going to be uh, delivered. And um, the goal is to ensure that the citizen information is being protected um, and, 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 and the government is actually trusted. Um, to to house and protect citizen information. And more and more services are being delivered via digital means every day. You're seeing innovation across state government um, in rates that you didn't see in the past. Um, you're seeing adoption of, of, of mobility to uh, enable citizens to do a better job of interacting with the, with the government. Um, turning what used to take you know days in to down to weeks down to hours um so uh, and it's a mix right i mean you have uh you know in some cases you have great stories in other cases there's opportunities to reform but um from what i've seen public sector is doing some interesting things there have been some really cool awards that's been uh, given to several states for some of the innovations they've been delivering that's providing value to citizens well, that is very interesting. I think it's it's very different from the, the stereotype people have of government, right? Of being bloated and slow, and and uh, as you said, they don't. There's not appreciation for the work that that the public servants do, 
um, and the services provided. They just expect it to be there and, and uh, are more likely to complain if there's any type of hiccups as opposed to saying thank you or, or praising or looking at the cool things. But you're here talking about some, some really interesting innovations that are taking place within that, within, within the public sector. Um, would you mind sharing some examples of that? What are some of the, the innovative things that have been taking place recently that you're aware of? Well, I mean, again, I mean, if you start to look at the pandemic, right, the ways to do um, um, tracing, right? I mean, they like in Georgia, they implemented um, tracing um, uh, a bot for tracing where they spanned out to get millions of insights of citizens uh, to trace uh, COVID. And that was implemented in like, you know, a month, right? I mean, and, they, and that's that's super fast for government using bots to actually drive insight of you know the spread of uh, the coronavirus, right? So I mean, that's uh, an example. Um, you know, the entire government shut down, right? It's a part of COVID, uh, and you know, governments had to quickly do be able to put in place something that they hadn't put in play before, right? I mean, actually to say everyone, the entire government is gonna now telecommute, right? Um, and now you say, and in most cases, um, the, they, there wasn't enough um, of performance on, for VPN to support those types of solutions. Um, in some cases, you have people in government that have never telecommuted, if you look at some of the elderly folks, um, and they put in play, like in Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, uh, a VDI in play in a two week turnaround, right? That supported the, that could support the entire uh, uh, Commonwealth of Virginia, right? So, I mean, it's, there, there are innovations that are taking place um, that you just don't hear about, you know? And I think VDI is an interesting example. Uh, it's something that's been around for, for well, over 10 years now. Um, there's been uh, a, a lot of hype in the past, virtual desktops, that's the wave of the future. And it never never became really the full wave of the future. We're still using laptops. It takes a fire to get reform to take place. It takes a fire for folks to pay attention. Yep. VDI isn't new, but in essence, because it was available, I guarantee you, it was on, on every CIO's book that of, of strategy, and they blew the dust off of it when they had the fire and said, this is my opportunity to put it in play. And it happened across most states. I can tell you now, they, they spent it off in Mississippi. They spent it off in Commonwealth of Virginia. They spent it off in the uh, uh, state of Georgia uh, and several states uh, uh, across the country. Now, again, if it wasn't for the pandemic, I don't think any of it would be happening at scale. <laughs> and, and I, I agree with you about VDI, especially cloud-based VDI being something that allows you to scale up very quickly to provide that telework, that work from home experience, especially if that worker had been using, let's say, a desktop in their in their office in their public sector civil servant environment. You, you're not going to pick that up and take it home, and and you can't buy a laptop. Not during the pandemic. Everybody, you know, wants a laptop, high demand, and and where they're made. Oh, in China, uh, China shut down the factories, so so that really became the only option. But uh, it was great that they were able to pivot so quickly, turn that on, and and make it possible so that you know civil uh, servant activities, paying taxes, getting the benefits. That was a biggie. And, and even some of the news uh, services that had to be created around the pandemic could operate. 
Um, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting seeing seeing that in action. Maybe looking at the flip side, is there anything that in the way public sector uh, has to operate that made it more difficult for them or they faced additional challenges in, in the pandemic that maybe in commercial other environments they didn't face? Well, before the pandemic, it was always, you got to think, every every public sector, state and agency, they receive annual appropriations. And you have to, you know, apply those appropriations to your strategic goals and objectives. So, you know, the interesting thing about government in general, you're always hit with unfunded mandates that you have to be uh, able to shift to deal with. And that's the thing that I can tell you most most people that haven't worked for the government, especially when you look at um, uh, firms that have to sell to the government, doesn't understand and appreciate that um, there, there, are, there are massive unfunded mandates that you have to deal with that you have to get done, right? It's, and it's not, a, it's not a, okay, this is what we plan to do. This is the budget that you're getting for. No, you got to get this done. It's unfunded, but you got to get it done. And now you got to deal with reprioritization and reprogramming dollars. And then you wonder why, you know, um, uh, RFPs are taking long to come out or the results of an RFP haven't come back, right? It's because all of the other uh, inertia that's taken place in government. And then on top of that, you have the shift of people, right? You have political challenges that's going on. So it's a, it's, it's a lot of, challenges internally. So they're, they're faced with a lot and they're doing a lot, but, um, you know, they, they look, they, they keep the lights on, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so looking ahead, um, you've just described a lot of changes that the public sector has implemented very quickly. And, um, in, in many cases with some very good success, looking ahead, to the new normal. That's what all the industries are talking about, right? What is the new normal? How will the post-pandemic world look? What does it mean for my business? For public sector, we could ask the question, what does that new normal look like as a result of successfully taking advantage of, of these changes that the pandemic has kind of forced upon us? Can you kind of look ahead to the future? What will public sector look like uh, in a year from now, two years from now, as a result of these transformations? Well, you know, it comes back to, I'm going to say the people, processes, and technology. You're going to see change across the, uh, all, all, of the, all of those areas. You start to look at um, your real estate investment differently. You start to look at your policies of telecommute versus not, right? I mean, I mean, if you look at us, I mean, we are going through deal reviews and, you know, we're going through... Uh, actual oral presentations virtually now. We that was unheard of. Yep, it's the same thing on the government side. Now, um, in my conversations with several states at the governor level, they're saying we're not going back. Right, we're not going to work the way we've been working. We're, if we, we look, we we sent everybody home, and the business still got done. So why do we need to change? So you're going to see a a, a a change. The new norm is going to be more telecommuting more um, video interaction, which means that's gonna be a shift to uh, internet providers. As soon as you start to do that shift to saying, hey, uh, more people can actually, it's gonna turn into a norm for more 
uh, government workers to work from home, I think you're gonna see a influx in younger talent that's coming in the government because now working from home turns into a quality of life. So now you're gonna say, hey, now we're gonna actually have more younger talent coming in. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Right time, right place with public sector, 30% attrition rate and oh, now you can actually work from home depending on the business that you're doing. If it can be done from home, now you get that influx. Um, if this, there's gonna be a heightened uh, uh, leverage of security types of solutions. Um, because now, I mean, of course, once you start to leverage virtual technologies and what have you, um, you know, now it turns into you start to leverage um, more ways to secure those digital services. Um, there's, there's, you're going to see a completely different outlay on investments when you say, hey, we, we replace our systems, you know, at desktops every three years, servers every five or what have you. Um, when, once you shift it to this VDI type model, now you have to rethink. If I have a VDI construct that stood up, why do I have, why am I um, paying for um, desktops in the office? Exactly. The new norm is probably going to cut those desktops um, and laptops by roughly probably 80%. Right? So you're going to look at that because that decreases your support costs. That decreases your invest, your capital costs. Rather, if you're buying or leasing, that whole thing changes. So you're going to start to see a massive change in that, right? But again, you're going to see a plus up of cloud services because now it's going to be more consumption driven and leveraging analytics to see, you know, productivity of services that are being delivered because by doing that holistically, you can leverage analytics to start to say, are my employees actually using the tools that we're putting out? And you have a lot more insight to be able to provide better services. I mean, I could just go on and on. I mean, it's just from this situation, but there's another thing that's going to happen now. There's a reform that's taking place when you look at several of the, uh, I'm saying government systems have been, has been fast-tracked. When you look at modernization of the unemployment systems, as an example, uh, you know, due to the pandemic, so you have, you know, trillions of dollars put in the economy to try and keep things moving. When you look at the coronavirus relief fund, $150 billion spread across the various states. Each state has no less than $1.2 billion. Now, what you're seeing, though, is there, in most cases, unemployment systems there in public sector are aged, and they were all up for modernization, and each state is going through different levels of modernization, but the, the pandemic actually, um, let's say, it, it, it exposed um, vulnerabilities, and that's when you start to see, you're seeing all of the, uh, 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 an increase in fraud, waste, and abuse across states. In some states, it's $633 million. But that turns into the system needed to be reformed. And now there's a new, I guess, emphasis on improper payments, fraud, waste, and abuse, and trying to stop improper payments. As I talk with uh, our customers, Sean, in the commercial space, um, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, natural language processing, machine learning, uh, automation, in various forms, is really a primary focus of our discussions. Uh, do you see that as well in public sector? And if so, how will that impact, how will that transform public sector, both in terms of how people work, as well as the services 
that the public sector provides to the citizens. Okay, remember, I said that public sector prioritizes based on the fire. Yep. <laughs> right now, the fire is improper payments. Now you're going to see new technologies leveraging AI to support um, fraud, waste, and abuse. So it's remember, it's not about, hey, this interesting technology, we're going to use this to solve this problem. It's really what's the fire that's really that causing us pain today. And now that's the fire. Now, what are the innovative approaches to help mitigate this? Right now, it's I got $633 million of fraud and I have line of sight that says I can get restitution on 300 million of it. I need to have a better approach for me to decrease this risk that's impacting reputation, impacting citizens and what have you. If you're looking at AI technologies that stop improper payments from going out versus having to go through pay and chase after the fact. So you're gonna see new technologies coming into play specifically for those areas because that is currently a pain point. If I'm a CIO in the public sector listening to this podcast here today, Sean, what is one thing that uh, you would recommend that I be doing right now to uh, affect the, the digital transformation that I'm looking for in public sector? Develop a strategy. I mean, that, that's first off, right? Don't shoot from the hip. Don't react to the cool technology that you may see. At the end of the day, I have a sound strategy that's directly connected to the business. So start there. And then from there, a lot, go have a, have a sound approach to go through governance, to actually get, listen to the people that work for you. Listen to the, the, your customers, right? And have the customer feedback roll into this strategy that you can then communicate out before you actually start to execute and get buy-in, right? Because at the end of the day, it, it, you know, with, it comes back to the PMI best practice approach, right? It's about communication, right? Communication, define, define your strategy, communicate your strategy, and then come up with what's prioritized, what's most important, so you can do the right things first to get the right things done, right? And then have a loop back approach where the recipients of your strategy, they can weigh in and say, how well are you doing? Right. And if you said, if you notice what I said, I didn't say anything about technology. <laughs> no, you didn't. Because <laughs> right? that's what it's about. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not buying tech for tech. Right. It's about the business. The role of the CIO has changed. The CIO now sits at the business table. The CIO isn't just responsible for the mops and brooms. Right. So it's it's actually how business can get delivered and how business can ensure that you can measure and monitor the performance of the business that's being delivered and the likes, right? So because that CIO's resume has changed, the CIO has to focus on different things. Well, Sean, I'd like to thank you so much for giving me some of your time here today. And I think our audience appreciates it as well. You bet. Thank you. Great conversation. You've been listening to Sean Kingsbury, Vice President of Digital Transformation and Consulting here at Unisys as he's been sharing some interesting insights in the public sector. I'm Weston Morris, and this is the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. Thank you for listening.